Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many books. His latest is No Problem. It is August the 22nd, and on this day in 1950, officials of the United States Lawn Tennis Association accepted Althea Gibson into the annual championship at Forest Hills, New York, making her the first African-American player to compete in the U.S. National Tennis Competition. Growing up in Harlem, the young Gibson was a natural athlete. She started playing tennis at age 14, and the very next year won her first tournament, the New York State Girls Championship, sponsored by the American Tennis Association, uh, which was organized in 1916 by black players as an alternative to the exclusively white USLTA after prominent doctors and uh, dentist enthusiasts, tennis enthusiasts Hubert Eaton and R. Walter Johnson took Gibson under their wing. She won the first of what would turn out to be 10 straight ATA championships in 1947. In 1949, Gibson attempted to gain entry into the U.S. LTA's National Grass Court Championships at Forest Hills, the precursor to the U.S. Open. When the U.S. LTA failed to invite her to any qualifying events, Alice Marble, a former four-time winner in Forest Hills, wrote a letter on Gibson's behalf to the editor of the American Lawn Tennis Magazine. Marble criticized the bigotry of her fellow U.S. LTA members, suggesting that if Gibson posed a challenge to the current tour players, it's only fair that they meet this challenge on the courts. Gibson was subsequently invited to participate in the New Jersey qualifying event, where she earned a berth at Forest Hills. On August the 28th, 1950, Gibson beat Barbara Knapp 6-2, 6-2 in her first USLTA tournament match. She lost a tight match in the second round to Louise Bro, a three-time and defending Wilburton champion. Uh, Gibson struggled over the next first years on the tour, but finally won her first major tournament in 1956 at the French Open in Paris. She came into her own in the following year, winning Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in relatively advanced age of 30. Gibson repeated at Wimbledon and then the U.S. Open the next year, but soon decided to retire from the amateur ranks and go pro. At the time, the pro tennis leagues were poorly developed, and Gibson became the first black player to compete on the women's golf tour. Although she never won a tournament, she was elected to the U.S. International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1971. Though she once brushed off comparisons to Jackie Robinson, the trailblazing black baseball player, Gibson had been credited for African-American tennis players such as Arthur Ashe and, more recently, Venus and Serena Williams. After a long illness, she died in 2003 at the age of 76. She was a trailblazer and a great athlete indeed. Uh, yeah, I forgot to mention that she also at one point went on tour with the Harlem Globetrotters playing tennis during halftime and their basketball games. So uh, she's a great athlete, Althea Gibson. Well, nearly 5 million illegal immigrants have crossed U.S. borders in the 18 months since President Joe Biden took office, according to uh, a new report. Well, let that sink in. 5 million illegal immigrants crossed the border in the last 18 months. A total of 4.9 million illegal aliens, including some thousand gotaways who have evaded apprehension and since disappeared into American communities, have entered the country by the end of July. This according to the Federation of American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, Fair, said in a statement on August the 16th, roughly the equivalent of the entire population of Ireland has illegally entered the United States in 18 months President Biden has been in office, and many have been released into American communities, that according to Dan Stein, the president of FAIR. 
He blamed Biden for putting the unprecedented surge down to external factors, not the administration's own sabotage of immigration laws. After rolling back the the Trump-era policies, Biden presided over the largest number of apprehensions of illegal immigrants in the United States-Mexico border in in a calendar year in history, recording almost 1.9 million arrests last year. The following flow of uh, endless flow of uh, illegal aliens and the incursion of lethal narcotics pouring across our border have will not end until this administration demonstrates a willingness to enforce our laws, said Stein. The White House didn't immediately respond to requests for comment, as they usually don't. Two million illegal aliens have entered the country in the first 10 months of this financial year, according to the data from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. In June, more than 207,000 illegal immigrants were apprehended attempting to cross the U.S. border, making the highest number of June apprehensions in history, although uh, July saw a slim decline in in encounters at the southwest border of nearly 200,000. It turned out to be the 17th straight month where more than 150,000 encounters, representing a 325% increase over the average number of July apprehensions, under the Trump administration, the uh, statement said. Among other, the over 213,000 illegal alien, uh, aliens deported from the border in July, only 37% of the rest led to expulsions under Title 42, a 7% drop from last month. Border agents pr- process the majority of the rest under Title 8, which oftentimes lets illegal aliens to be released into the U.S. interior while their cases sit in backlog immigration courts. Can you imagine how many court cases are backlogged? The Biden administration announced it would end the Trump-era Title 42, a title, uh, border policy put in place on public health grounds amid the COVID-19 pandemic which has been forced to keep the play in place uh, owing to a lack of notice. A CBP uh, also reported 10 individuals on the FBI terror watch list were apprehended in the, uh, July between ports of entry and the southwest border, pushing the total number in the physical year to 66. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, the uh, Border Patrol seized 2,130 pounds of synthetic opioid fentanyl uh, last month, more than three times the intercepted in June and topping the previous month record of nearly 1,300 pounds sent in April, it nearly equals the total amount of fentanyl compensated throughout 2019. Very sad commentary on our country right now. Uh, borders are not being uh, watched. I should say they're being watched, but unfortunately we're having an invasion on our southern border, and it includes... Uh, child trafficking, it, it includes human trafficking, it includes fentanyl distribution, and leading to uh, well over tens of thousands of deaths here in the United States, as well as five million uh, illegal aliens invading our border. And by the way, border crossers arrived in New York City on migrant buses sent from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. They're being awarded health care services as well as free cell phones, among other things. On Sunday at a New York Post report, the city's hospital system held an event for arriving border crossers at the hospital in the Bronx, where they are offered health care services along with free cell phones, food, library cards, and school supplies. The event comes as Major Eric Adams estimates that in a few weeks, Abbott has busted about 4,000 border crossers to New York City as part of his plan to alleviate the ways of illegal immigration to Texas. Last week, uh, it was reported that the New York City officials are planning to house border crossers arriving on migrant buses in about 6,000 hotel rooms. That plan comes as rents for New Yorkers have skyrocketed. Likewise, New York City Cardinal Timothy Dolan said Catholic Charities is working to enroll young border crossers in the high-priced Catholic schools. Illegal immigration poses a massive cost to U.S. taxpayers annually. Every year, taxpayers are billed more than $143 billion to subsidize the cost of the nation's 11 to 22 million illegal aliens. It's disgusting, isn't it? It's unbelievable. People are uh, homeless, and these people are getting library cards, uh, getting free health care. It's just, uh, you just can't make this stuff up. 
Well, the new uh, report from the Office of Inspector General at the Defense Department confirms the value of U.S. military equipment abandoned left at the Biden administration in Afghanistan. The number comes one year after the catastrophic exit from the country. According to DOD analysis, the Taliban is in control of $7 billion worth of U.S. military assets. The Department of uh, Defense estimated the U.S.-funded equipment valued at $7.12 billion was the inventory of the former Afghan government when it collapsed, much of which has since been seized by the Taliban. This included military aircraft, ground vehicles, weapons, and other military equipment. The condition of these items was unknown, and the long-term operation operability of the vehicles is likely to deteriorate without U.S. contractor maintenance, the office states. Uh, a lot of the equipment was new, as I recall. There had been no disciplinary action for the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. In fact, the Biden administration continues to say it was a historic event. Hmm. Really said that. The report also notes that ISIS-K has a stronghold in the country. ISIS-K was the most active terrorist group in Afghanistan this quarter, claiming 80 attacks, 90% increase over the previous quarter, including some complex attacks, demonstrating the group's capability to strike multiple targets in quick succession, the office found. Most of these attacks targeted Afghan uh, Shia Hazara and Sufi religious minorities, uh, civilian infrastructure in neighboring countries, targeting security forces in Pakistan, Uzbekistan, and Tagestan. Those, uh, though these attacks, you know, uh, ISIS-K aimed to undermine Taliban rule and attack new recruits. So $7 billion just totally wasted. Uh, this, this administration has absolutely no regard for the value of uh, money, and it's uh, just spending it like drunken sailors. Although the only difference is the drunken sailors, once they run out of money, have to stop spending. Not here. The Golden Horseshoe is a weekly designation from Just the News intended to highlight egregious examples of wasteful taxpayer spending by the government. The award is named for the horseshoe-shaped toilet seats for military airplanes that cost the Pentagon a whopping $640 each back in the 80s. Well, I ain't seen nothing yet. This week's Golden Horseshoe is awarded to the Department of Education for underestimating by more than $300 billion the net cost to taxpayers of the federal student loan program. Although the Department of Education originally estimated federal direct loans made in the last 25 years would generate billions in income for the federal government, its current estimates show that these loans will cost, that's right, cost the government billions, that according to the GAO report, the Department of Education originally estimated these loans uh, to generate $114 billion in income for the government. And now, although the actual cost cannot be known until the end of the uh, loan terms, as of fiscal year 2021, these loans are estimated to cost the federal government $197 billion. That's a swing of $311 billion uh, was given uh, driven by both the programmatic charges and re-estimates used to revise assumptions. That's how government spending works. Unbelievable. All this waste. That makes you think twice about your tax dollars, doesn't it? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. 
week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of a terrific uh, website, multimedia website, historycentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So, uh, as we usually do on Monday mornings, we talk about up to the moment, up to the minute, current global events. And uh, there's a, a bombing in Russia. A young lady died. I think she was about 29 or 30 years of age, maybe targeting her father. But uh, when to get the scoop and what's going on? Okay, her name is Daria Dugina. And it's not clear whether they were targeting her father or her herself because she herself has been an outspoken supporter of Putin and an outspoken supporter of the invasion into Ukraine. So her father has been, is, is been called Putin's uh, brain, the philosophy behind Putin's attack on Ukraine to some extent in terms of Russian nationalism and, and the like. So it's not at all clear who was the target in this particular mm. case. Uh, both could have been. Um, it's rattling things in Moscow, obviously, the idea that some group is actually uh, taking action all the way back in Moscow, whether it's Ukraine claims it had nothing to do with it or it's internal uh, Russian opposition that's turning violent, unclear. Mm. Um, but obviously it's um, very unsettling for the Russian government and to some extent the Russian people who, who have sort of been looking the other way relating to the Ukrainian war as much as possible. That's so interesting, Mark. I, you know, I, that was the question I had: is what's the significance of this? And there, uh, it could indi- uh, it could indicate an undercurrent of uh, uh, lack of support. Well, look, it's a question. Look, there, there is certainly opposition. I mean, we look we look at uh, the Navinay who is in prison, who is in prison for on ridiculous charges. The one who Putin tried to uh, tried to poison. Uh, was saved in a German hospital and then had the, um, how shall I call it, um, the bravery, I guess, more than anything else, to go back to Russia, even though he knew he'd be arrested. And he's been sentenced to nine years of hard labor on trumped-up up charges. Um, one of the charges was um, the fact that he left the country, and he only left the country to be treated for the poisoning that had, you know, he was like on bail or some version they're in. So um, the... Um, uh, so there's clearly opposition, and how strong the opposition is has always been unknown. You never really know in Russia what's really going on when it comes to opposition parties and things of that nature. But the fact that they're willing to turn to violence uh, says something, and uh, the fact that the Russian government and their all-knowing successor to the KGB was not able to to know about this in advance also says something else, obviously. So interesting. I can't help but mention it too. I know <laughs> this is probably not worth mentioning in terms of world news, but uh, apparently um, uh, the former NBA player Dennis Rodman is heading to Russia to try, 
<laughs> to try and get the release of this uh, woman basketball player. Uh, her name is right. Was... No, I mean absolutely. Look, there there is this discussion been going on about um, about a trade and trading. There's this Russian arms dealer who we've been holding uh, was convicted and has served, I think, nine years already. And so that trade has been ongoing. Uh, the problem is there's a second person uh, involved. A marine, uh, former marine, who's being held, and the third person who isn't even being discussed, who is a teacher at the American School in in Moscow, huh. who was charged almost identically with the same crime as the basketball player, um, and he uses mer- uh, medical use of marijuana. So, um, all three of them are, you know, the Russians doing what they do best: intimidation. Um, so we'll have to see. All I can say is, I, as someone who twice flew via Moscow as a um, as a transit stop, let's put it that way, uh-huh. although one of those times I actually went into Moscow because I had a friend living there. Um, I would never go transit through Moscow again, let's put it that way. Uh, absolutely. Well, the reason it amuses me is, of course, Robin is the guy that also went over to negotiate, <laughs> go to North Korea. So somehow it's, he's he's gained the uh, at least the, the recognition of some sort of a diplomat for the United States. <laughs> it's just very amusing. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, what do these guys have going for them? That since basketball is truly an international sport, uh, they have fans there too. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great, it's uh, so interesting. But I, you know, in a way, it kind of suggests that Joe Biden and his group are kind of throwing up their hands with this issue. So maybe Dennis Robin can make some headway here. Kind of interesting. So let's move to uh, Ukraine. So in Ukraine again, you know, I can repeat last week's pretty much. Although um, the major situation is, of course, the Russian offensive has now stalled out. There's major issues around. Uh, this nuclear plant that's right on the front lines, and the UN is calling to make it a a, uh, a neutral site that, of course, the Russians don't want to. The Russians want to take the nuclear energy from there and use it for themselves. So it's a major flashpoint. The other interesting thing over the last week is the Ukrainians have been striking deep deep into Crimea. Now, Crimea is the area that the Russians seized in uh, 2014, Mm-hmm. And to a lot of Russians, it's like Mother Russia. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they've been able to successfully strike that area has a, is a major blow to the Russians. In one case, they attacked an airfield and basically um, destroyed half the aircraft in the airfield. This is the second time they did something similar. They did something a, couple, a week or two ago also, but this was a naval air station. So yeah. um, the Ukrainians are showing you know, they, they can do an awful lot of damage to the Russians. Can they successfully launch a major counteroffensive? We yet to see. Yeah, the thing is that this uh, nuclear plant uh, apparently is the largest in Europe. I read, and uh, second of all, it, I mean, it, it could be a catastrophic if somehow, some way, this uh, a strike on the nuclear plant allowed some sort of a nuclear leak. It could lead to a, a catastrophe worse than Chernobyl. Absolutely, and that's always the concern. And you know. As much as I'm in favor of nuclear energy, and you know, we've discussed this in the past, that's always the concern is the fact that, you know, if a coal plant or an oil plant or a gas plant or a solar field, or, you know, pick, pick your choice of energy for the moment, gets hit during a, you know, any sort of catastrophe or an earthquake or a meteor strike or, you know, you name it, okay, you know, you lose the coal plant, you lose the gas plant, you lose whatever it might be. Right. But nuclear energy is the one area that if it goes bad, it goes really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And overall, if we look at the world, it hasn't gone that bad. I mean, reality is we've been using nuclear energy since the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And by and large, I think more people get killed in one day in car crashes in the United States that have been killed in nuclear accidents except for Chernobyl because we don't really know what happened in Chernobyl in the numbers. Mm-hmm. But leaving aside Chernobyl, I think you know more people get killed in car crashes in the United States in one day than have been killed all these years cumulatively in nuclear accidents. However, so, the the uh, the possibilities of, of a, a catastrophe are just much more than even all the car crashes that you could have in the United States in one year. Right, no, absolutely. That's the problem, obviously. The problem is the the... the theoretical possibility of a catastrophic accident is really there. And it's very real, and it's not, you know, it's much higher than the chance of an asteroid hitting the Earth. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Uh, So that's really the concern. That's always been the concern. And 
but you, in, you know, overall, you need to sort of balance that concern with the fact that you know nuclear power has been very successfully used, and the best place to look at it is the place that people are trained the best. U.S. Navy. Yeah, you know, we have so, so much advancement in science in so many different ways. And I just, we I mentioned it briefly in our last visit uh, last week about the whole idea of nuclear fission and having, you know, uh, more plants perhaps with the less danger. Uh, how far are we from, do you know how far we We're are? Not far. I mean, I know that Bill Gates has been, been um, investing heavily in a company that basically has been developing a nuclear reactor the size of a backpack. Mm-hmm. And you'd literally be able to set it up almost anywhere and provide power to tens of thousands of locations with a, something the size of a backpack and safe enough to be able to literally be carried around. Yeah. Uh, when that can be deployed, I do not know, and I also assume that the regulatory process is probably not short. Right, and also that the uh, control of the energy is very, very difficult. I'm just aware that there's uh, many, many tries at this, and uh, the problem has always been even, even when you can create the energy, it's hard to, to keep it under control. Right. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a big challenge. But again, like you said, you know, nuclear, nuclear bombs, were, <laughs> nuclear energy altogether were developed now 70 years ago. Yeah. And think of how much technology has moved forward in those 70 years, our understanding of physics, our ability to model things on computers yeah. and design things on computers and material science. So many things have moved forward in 70 years that it's a reasonable assumption that, that using today's technology, we should be able to do something that's safer, more efficient, and easier to control. But, yeah, I mean, 70 years ago, we were using slide rules to do calculations. So, it, No, absolutely. It's amazing. What is slide rule? What is that? <laughs> so, Mark, let's, let's uh, move to... At this to... point, all I do is ask Siri, how much is this, this number? And I get an answer without even having to you move my fingers. It's seriously, my how much do we take for granted? How much control and, and capability we've developed here? Even for retail consumers like us, it's just amazing. Uh, let's Absolutely. let's move to uh, Pakistan. Right. So in Pakistan, you know, Pakistan is a sad story. There's no other way of looking at it. We're talking about a country that uh, I don't even know. You know, 30 governments over the past uh, since since independence. Their independence was in 1947 when India and Pakistan split. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, once again, a few, it was a very short period of time ago. I think it was six months ago that the Indian prime prime minister was was ousted, and now suddenly uh, Imran Khan was his name, um, and he's had a comeback because the new prime minister hasn't done much better. He was ousted because of rising food prices and and general economic uh, problems in, in Pakistan. Well, the problems have continued since he's ousted. He's become very popular again easier to be popular when you're outside of government than you're in, in government. And now the current government uh, is threatening to charge him with terrorism because he attacked, I don't mean physically attacked, but, you know, attacked verbally the current government. Mm-hmm. And for that, that's considered terrorism. So, um, you know, we, we have an unstable situation in a country that has nuclear weapons and, uh, you know, it has a large population. And it's kind of interesting how you know, with all the problems that India has, it's been a stable democracy. It's independence. Although, uh, that, I recall there was a, a very courageous woman. Her father was the prime minister there, and, and she came, came back to the country at her great peril, ended up getting assassinated, as I recall. So, you know... Right. Indi- no, absolutely. But the, the, there was a series of assassinations and, um, that, that took place. But despite the assassinations... The democracy has been stable. I mean, it's hard to say that, right? I mean, yeah. despite the assassinations, but but the reality is that it has been a, a democratic transition of power, rarely, but it's taken place. As opposed to Pakistan, where the military has taken over a dozen times and gone back and forth between military and civilian rule, and never for very long. Yeah. So, how's the tension between Pakistan and India at this point? At this particular moment, there's nothing. There's nothing new. I mean, there's always that tension. There's always the, the you know, the, don't forget. There's a partition. It was there were a hundred million refugees created by the partition of India and China. India and China, excuse me, India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And so you have people who are displaced, and people who are unhappy, and all those things. But 
by and large, it's worked its way, you know, it's worked its way out. I mean, you have the other issue that India is a primarily a Hindu country. Pakistan is a Muslim country. India has a large Muslim minority, and there are issues with the rights of the Muslims in, in India that have always come up, and then Pakistan stands up for it. Um, but for the moment, for the moment, the situation seems to be under control. I don't promise what will be next month, you know. It's, Kind of like Israel and, the, and, and Palestinian uh, territory as well. And by the way, what's, what's happening in Israel and, Palestine, and uh, the Palestinian territory? I mean, it's, look, there's, there's two sets of things that, that go on on a regular basis that's, that's, I'll say, problematic. There's no other way of, of looking at it. On one hand, Israel is continuously um, looking for and arresting people they consider to be terrorists, who are planning or could be planning or supporting terrorist activity. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, Israel is trying now to, to relieve things economically and provide economic incentives for the Palestinians to not go for it, go in the, in the direction of terrorism. I mean, to, to his credit, Abu Mazen, who's the aging head of the Palestinian Authority, has always fought against terrorism, fought against the idea of terrorism. On the other hand, you know, the, the essence of the the problem is the fact that over the period of 70 years, the Palestinians have never been willing to make the um, uh, the compromises. Let's put it that way: the compromises that would be necessary in order to reach a peace agreement. And we're pretty much standing there today. I think there are very few Israelis who believe that there will be peace in their lifetime at this point, mm-hmm. which is sad because if you would have asked Israelis 20 years ago, most of them would say, "Oh, sure, there'll be peace in my lifetime." Today, that really isn't the sense of most people. So the uh, with these Abraham Accords, what kind of impact has that had on the uh, situation internationally as well as in Israel? Okay, so from, a, from an international perspective, I mean, it's been good for Israel, it's been good for trade, it's improved trade, it's decreased the sense of, uh, of Israel being um, isolated. Um, the newest arrangements with Saudi Arabia are, should be opening up airspace so that Israeli flights can overfly Saudi Arabia to going to the Far East. Um, So all those things are very positive. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is it doesn't translate back to the Palestinians. And most of the Arab world has decided to go on without the Palestinians. And that's really what we're seeing. Um, But um, despite that, that doesn't really solve the underlying issues, I'm afraid. Yeah, got it. So, Mark, uh, let's move to China. Okay, so China is having this one, two, three punch, right? Um, you had, first of all, uh, you have the economic problems related to the overhang of the real estate market. Mm-hmm. Then you had the COVID lockdowns, which were creating, um, you know, the, the lockdowns were creating economic dislocation. Factories couldn't work. Everything related to, as we all know, what COVID can do. I'm not talking about the disease. I'm talking about the, you know, the economic impact of, of, of COVID. But now they have punch number three. They've had extreme heat at this point, hmm. extreme heat to the point where people can't work, and um, people are almost literally dying in parts of China because of how hot it's become, with no end in sight. In fact, I, so I think it's you, affected farming as well, hasn't it? Right, it's farming. It's affected all aspects of of Chinese life at this point, and so um, you know, leaving aside you know why it's taking place, the reality is it's having a tremendous impact now on China. Mm-hmm. And so China's really, like I said, it's been three three separate punches in the last uh, six months, and um, the country—I mean, the country's not collapsing or anything, but it's not what it was. Let's put it that way. That's and, the way to put it. And we—when does the election come up? I think it's about two months away, but it's not an election. To call that an election is like you know. <laughs> When is the crowning yeah. take place, basically? Yeah. That's, that's what it amounts to. And I, say, I think it's two months away, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm not positive about that. So uh, my question, of course, is any of this affecting you know, the, the possible outcome of what's happening? It's putting a little pressure on him. There's no question. Look, the basic agreement that was made between the Chinese government and being the communist government, however you want to define that government at this point, was you stay out of politics, we'll make sure your life gets better and better all the time. Mm-hmm. And right now, the second part is not happening, and so people are starting to question the first part. Right? If you know, if the government can't make life better all the time, maybe it's the wrong government. Is it enough people? Is it going to have an impact? Hard to say at this point. 
but it is a change in direction. Let's put it this way: people are not happy, probably for the first time in a long time. You know, you a lot of people are willing to give up personal liberties as long as they can have economic liberties. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other philosophical discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what they were promised: economic liberties and economic um, nirvana. In other words, you know, success. So they were getting the success until very recently, and they had economic freedoms, and they've lost some of that. And of course, the success is more problematic right now. So it's not at all clear where it's going to go. Yeah, because the, the, again, I think we talked about this last week. There's a lot of people have disaffected and uh, have left the co- Communist Party, which uh, to me sounds very risky. But nevertheless, the number is huge. Uh-huh. Hundreds of thousands of people have left the Communist uh, Party. So, just wonder if that is an inter- you know uh, indication of the lack of support and uh, even uh, <laughs> desire to to move on from the Communist Party. I think clearly it is. Um, look, you know, we, again, we use the word communist party, but I use the word communist very yeah. loosely, let's put it that way. There's nothing communist about the party. Right. There's nothing communist about the government of China. It's just the continuation of the same government, so we're calling it the communist government. Right. It's a nationalist, uh, national economic klepto version of a government, let's put it that way. Their, their goal is to make China strong and to make China independently strong and to make as much money along the way as they can. And to use the wealth to influence the world. That's what their goal is. That's who they are. Um, they're not communists. Um, you know, maybe maybe North Korea is still communist, and maybe a little bit about Cuba, but that's about it. Um, China is uh, run by Chinese nationalists. Yeah. It's just very sad, indeed. So, well, we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, in summary, it seems to me like the world, aside from a few things, it's it's a, a pretty peaceful place right now. I suppose. I mean, look, we had mentioned the fact there was a terror attack in Somalia and a hotel was seized and the, gov- and the government took it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to say with the full-scale war taking place in Ukraine to talk about a peaceful world. Yeah. Just a little bit hard. I mean, we, we forget it. It sort of falls below the, the headlines and it falls behind the news. But there is a full-scale war that's some cross between World War One and World War Two, taking place in, in Ukraine right now every single day. Yeah. And people are dying and fighting is going on. And so peaceful, it's hard for me to, to get get behind that, the peaceful world at the moment. But, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe... Six more years of Joe Biden will bring around peace. I, mean, I don't see <laughs> yes. peace anytime soon. Make us all numb. Again, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. HistoryCentral.com. Just check it out. It's just a really terrific website. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. 
A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us Jim McDegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's retired and now is writing novels, some great murder mysteries. I've read them all. Uh, Follow the Leader. Shake the Money Tree, and his, his latest book, of course, is No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. And oh, by the way, I started a fourth um, uh, mystery novel yesterday, so uh, I finally got my brain in gear. I, I've been distracted uh, by the uh, politics uh, surrounding uh, Donald Trump and, and, and the ongoing uh, Justice Department investigation of that uh, the dubious Justice Department investigation of the missing documents, the case of the missing boxes. Yeah, and they apparently <laughs> they they didn't find him at Trump's home. And uh, the latest I've heard about this, which is kind of interesting, and I, I, I can't confirm it, obviously, but apparently they're in the possession of the uh, special prosecutor, uh, uh, John Durham. <laughs> the you know the real story that I see here, because I'm a cynic, and, and, and I want to remind your listeners, I'm a never-Trumper, but I, I'm very much disturbed by the Democratic Party's habitual misuse of the Department of Justice for political ends, and the assumption from day one of Trump's presidency that he was guilty before being proven innocent. So, you know, they, they, they had the uh, scaffold built before they did the investigation. Uh, but having said that, uh, their missteps this time around have handed the former president billions in free advertising in advance of the next presidential race, the 2024 election. And they've handed him billions in free advertising around the midterm elections. Now, I'm cynical because we see a recession looming. I think we'll get hit with a recession next year when the Fed's interest rate hikes begin to bite. And part of me says the news, the traditional newspapers realize that Donald Trump sells sells lots of news content. Nobody does a better job of selling news than Donald Trump. And so suddenly uh, he's uh, it's all Donald Trump. Uh, all the time at the Washington Post, at the New York Times, to to uh, pronouncedly liberal outlets. In yeah. fact, in fact, the New York Times yesterday and today had two op eds critical of the uh, invest the uh, Department of Justice investigation of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, you know, a, a warning that. Uh, you know, it was mishandled and that it's going to lead to a cycle where each party investigates the former president of the other party, yeah. uh, you know, for, perpetually. So, um, But to underscore your point, I mean, take a look at what happened to CNN after uh, president was no longer first page news. Uh, and I'm talking about Trump now. If I didn't say that, but uh, <clears throat> they've imploded, you know, but because they don't have this, this boogeyman to, to attack all the time. So uh, the news kind of went away and just evaporated. Now they're going through this kind of re- remake of uh, CNN. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, you're, to your point, he is news. And uh, it certainly has steeled the resolve of Trump supporters. Uh, this has only just consolidated, I think, power behind Trump going into 2022 and 2024. Yeah, and, you know, I consider myself a, a Rockefeller Republican, you know, old time. And I said, you know, and I said I don't like Trump, but I'm very much disturbed 
by the unfairness of the pursuit of Trump. So right. that really uh, wins him some sympathy from people like me. Mm-hmm. So, so I think uh, you know the Democrats are probably lost a lot of independence by pressing this investigation. And when we see the uh, warrant, I'm sure that it's uh, going to be very trite reasoning for raiding Mar-a-Lago. Oh, and, and, and then I saw a story in Newsmax yesterday, which is where I go for my, my right-wing news, because I, I have a friend, John Gizzi, who is a columnist at Newsmax, who, who I respect, uh, highly respect. But anyway, there's a headline that President Trump is going to countersue Justice Department, claiming that his uh, Fourth Amendment rights have been trampled. And it's a brilliant strategy because it will tie up the Justice Department in knots for years. Well, he, he, his Fourth Amendment rights had been trampled, and there's no question about that. You're, well, when you're charged with a crime, you're supposed to have it very targeted, very clear uh, what the charges are, you, and you just can't go on a fishing up, uh, exposition that that has or uh, that has the ramifications for the Fourth Amendment. So his rights have been trampled, and I think he has a good case. Uh, he does. Now, uh, one other point I want to make: you know, the newspapers are desperate for headlines that generate sales. So former President Trump fits the bill. But if you uh, dig, where does where do the younger people get their news? Mm-hmm. Well, they, YouTube. <laughs> so if so, if you want to reach uh, the millennials, if you want to reach Generation X and Generation Z, uh, you have a, a YouTube channel. So uh, you know that's a surprise to me because I'm an old fogey and I like to read everything. But the younger generation, they either like podcasts or they or they like these little video casts on YouTube. So uh, I think both parties are missing the boat there. Yeah. You know, uh, we watch uh, Newsmax TV. We watch Real American News. Uh, we, we use a lot of streaming services, actually, for our news. That uh, Yesterday, in fact, uh, Mike Lindell on uh, uh, Frank, Frank's speech, and on his channel, he was running a, a two-day seminar or uh, program on uh, the election and just uncovered some really interesting information. But the point is, there's a lot of information out there, and I think people are beginning to discover there's something else between besides CBS, NBC, and uh, uh, ABC. Yeah, I've said this before. You have to create your own uh, news service. So, for example, we don't get any news about Europe and South America or even Canada in our, in our newspapers here. So I find myself constantly looking at sources in Europe, in South America, and Canada to find out, and Asia too, what is going on in the rest of the world. You're not going to get it. You know, American news organizations are just too parochial, and they don't have the budget anymore to cover the world. So you have to do it yourself. You know, the Epic Times does a pretty good job internationally, I think. So I, I use them as a source as well. I don't know if you ever looked at that outlet. I haven't. I will. So interesting. Based on your, your recommendation, I'll look at it. Okay, Jim. So I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, Jim. Uh, again, Jim McTagg, author of Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, No Problem. And we can look for when's the new book going to be? Well, you, do you use. It'll be a couple of years. I haven't come up with a title yet. Um, so do you have an outline, or have you, is that how you work, is you, you create the plot first, and then... Uh, I do, and the, and the plot is like an onion. I, I, you have to have uh, three or four suspects at the front of the book, and then you winnow it down to a couple. So, you know, it's peeling back the onion, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of fun to write these uh, mystery novels. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I just finished uh, Nelson DeMille's uh, uh, The Cuban Affair. It was just really a fun read. I bet it's, I bet it's fun to write that stuff. It just sounds like a, it's, a, it's a really interesting process. Again, yes, it's, probably, it's probably more interesting writing it than reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be having more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting uh, Network.
for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. What can you expect at Hodges University? You'll graduate at least one semester faster when you learn from professors who are experts in their field. You can expect a personalized experience with your faculty advisor and student success coach. Hodges University is ranked second for best colleges in Florida by salary after graduation. Hodges University is ranked nationally for best value and best for veterans. Hodges University has been in Southwest Florida for 33 years with over 14,000 graduates. Classes for most programs are online, in evenings, and on the weekends so you can work while you're earning your degree. To get where you want to be in your career, start here at Hodges University. It's where you can stay near and go far. Call 239-938-7700 or visit them at hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more Excuse me, and don't download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Well, the DeSantis administration was going to appeal a federal judge's ruling that claimed that Florida's Stop Woke Act violates the First Amendment and is vague. This is so interesting because it really brings up some First Amendment uh, issues. If Florida, we live in a post-racial society, then let make it uh, its case, the judge wrote, but it cannot win the argument by muzzling its opponents. Hmm. Well, U.S. District Judge Mark Walker also did not issue a stay to keep the law in effect while the state appeals the case. Judge Walker has effectively ruled that companies have a First Amendment right to instruct their employees in white supremacy, DeSantis Communications Director said. We disagree and will be appealing the decision. The Woke Act, the Stop Woke Act, bans educators and workplace employers from teaching Florida that their moral character is determined by race, sex, or national origin. Bill also aims at to prohibit corporations from mandating employees go through critical race theory training. When it comes to diversity, inclusion, and bias training in, in businesses, Walker said the law turns the First Amendment upside down because the state is prohibiting speech and banning the uh, discussion of certain concepts in training programs. Isn't that interesting? The law prohibits businesses and public school classrooms from telling anyone that they're inherently racist because of the color of skin and they would, should feel guilty for actions in the past committed by others, their parents, grandparents, and so forth. We're not going to categorize your, you based on your race. We're not going to tell some kindergartner that they were an oppressor based on the race, their race and what may have happened 100 or 200 years ago, DeSantis said when he signed the legislation in April. We're not going to tell other kids that they are oppressed Based on their race, the Clearwater-based company HoneyFund.com challenged the law in court claiming that free speech rights have been violated because the law interferes with their training programs focused on diversity and inclusion. Other groups have challenged the Stop Woke Act. DeSantis has said the law would make Disney's white privilege checklist illegal. The Walt Disney Company requires employees to complete a white privilege checklist. So, you know, what do you do about this? That's because <clears throat> there are First Amendment rights and people have the right to say what they want to say. But I think this takes it a step further. This is training. This is indoctrination. And so is indoctrination free speech? 
I have my serious questions on that. On the other hand, can what DeSantis is trying to do lead to an oppression of free speech? It certainly can. So this is a very fine line, and my hope is that this will be adjudicated quickly. It will go to, uh, go to a court uh, to appeal, and uh, this law will be reinstated. Be clear, but clearly, uh, companies don't have a right to indoctrinate their employees uh, that as a certain form of uh, your paycheck is hanging over your head. You've got to go through this training. If you don't complete the training successfully, you're going to be fired. Or kids are going to don't do well in school because they have to be trained and uh, believe th- stuff that isn't true. Like they're guilty for, for what their ancestors did. I don't think so. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Well, on March 16th, the New York Times belatedly confirmed that Hunter Biden's laptop is real and not an example of Russian disinformation. The liberal broadcast networks were waiting for all clear to admit the explosive Hunter Biden laptop story that was first broken in the New York Post back in October 2020 was real and legitimate. Well, this is it. But still, it's been mostly silenced from the networks. Since publication of the New York Times story 155 days ago, the big three, ABC, CBS, and NBC, the networks on their evening, morning, and Sunday roundtable shows have spent a total of, get this, 298 seconds, 4 minutes, and 59 seconds on it. Of that total, 74 seconds were used dismissive language. The most recent mention was 65 days ago after a whopping 599 straight days without talking about it at all. ABC News reminded their viewers about the Hunter Biden's laptop at that time. Well, sort of. In an exclusive interview June 14th with Hunter's ex-wife, uh, Good Morning America co-host Amy Rubach asked about the photos from the laptop of her husband looked disheveled, <laughs> not stoned, as uh, he probably was. Anyhow, this is, a, this is a, a travesty, quite frankly. This is how the news is managed. It's a very subtle thing, but they don't talk about the things that support this administration, and it's just not right to the American people. This is the fourth estate. We're talking about uh, news organizations that should be holding everybody accountable, now they become a promotional arm for the Democrat Party. 
Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great, great guests lined up for tomorrow's show. Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, and Boo Mortensen, Seton Miley, the founder and president of Less Government. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.